0: Okay, so we're going to think about grace. Grace is where you forgive uh, and and where you let something go when you don't have to. Uh, We're going to think about David sparing the life of Saul. Right, so let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you, Father, will open our eyes to your word and to your son. And that you will teach each of us something today, that each of us might pick up At least a few things to take into our hearts as we go forward. Father, we thank you for Armistice Day and for, we think of all those who have suffered and still suffer in in Israel, in in Gaza, etc. Pray, Father, that you will help us to appreciate what you have done for us in so many different ways and above all for the death of your son to eventually bring about true peace and the end of all this stuff. We pray, Father, that you bring us all finally to the everlasting life of your kingdom. For Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Right, so, you remember David was a good guy, basically. A good guy. But he was persecuted by Saul. He was just jealous, sweet as jealous. And he chased him all around the desert of southern Israel for like 20 years, pretty well. Just beat up with jealousy. Absolutely awful to him. And God had come to David and Samuel had anointed him and said, you're going to be the king. One day Saul's going to meet his end and he will die and you will be king in his place. But you've just got to wait for that moment. But in the years while David was waiting for that moment, it certainly seemed at times like Saul was going to kill him. So, Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself, to go to the toilet. (laughs) Now David and his men were hiding in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, look, the day of which Yahweh said to you, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, you can do to him whatever you wish. And David got up and cut off the ribbon of Saul's robe secretly. Afterwards, David's conscience smote him because he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. He said to his men, Yahweh forbid that I should do such a thing to my Lord, Yahweh's anointed, to lift my hand against him, since he is Yahweh's anointed. Right, so what's going on here? These caves were massive. They could be a few hundred meters long. All right, so... David and his men were hiding in this really deep, dark cave. And there they are, looking out of the cave, and if you're looking out from a cave, you can see what's happening, you can see people coming towards you, but the people who are outside, they can't see inside. So, there they are, they're like, what? That's Saul and his men. Now, Saul was the tallest guy in Israel, so they all. That's Saul. And don't forget, David had married Saul's daughter, so he knew Saul, he was his ex-father-in-law. So there's Saul and his guys, and then, strange to say, Saul alone starts walking towards them. And so they slip back inside the cave. Talk about weird. Saul was walking towards them, and he comes into the cave to go to the loo. Now, of course, he was on his own, because you don't like to uh, go to the loo like with other people watching you, right? And in those days, if you were the king or someone important, you wore suitable clothing. So he had the king's robe on him. And of course, to squat down and go to the loo, you've got to take your, your coat off you, your robe, your kingly robe. So he takes off the sign of his kingship and squats down. And there's the guys, David and his guys. This is Saul. What an opportunity. Now, when you are squatting down going to the loo, and I'm sorry to be slightly crude, but this is all in the story. This is reality. You are at your most vulnerable, and you are the most in touch with yourself. You are looking at or aware of your most intimate part of your body, and you are at your weakest. You're absolutely at your weakest and your most... Sort of personal. That's why these days we build toilets like little cubicles. Now, how long does it take a male to go to the loo? I know it takes women about, you know, an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking about men. How long does it take a bloke to go to the loo? Well, it depends what they do. It depends what they do. That is a very good point, Nicola. Yeah. Well, let's take it as a number two, right? Well, how many minutes would you say it takes a normal person? How long does it take a male to go to the loo, do his business? Five. I reckon five. I reckon five's a good shot, yeah. So, he takes off his the sign of his kinship, his robe, and leaves it there, because you can't do the job with that on. And there's a max five minutes and David and his guys whispering. I mean, it says that they were talking, but they were whispering. This is Saul. This is Saul. And the guys say to him, go on, David. Um, <clears throat> this is the guy of which God said to you, I'll deliver your enemy into your hand and you can do to him whatever you wish. Go on, kill him. So David tiptoes towards where he's left, left his robe with a knife in his hand because he cuts the robe. So he's obviously got a knife in his hand. He, of course, in, in his mind he was thinking, well, shall I stab him? I could just stab him while well, he's having a poo at his most vulnerable moment and just just do it, just like that. He's got a knife in his hand and he thinks, no, there's his robe. He just cuts off part of it and sneaks back into the cave and Saul gets up and goes his way not realising what's happened. Don't tell me the Bible's not interesting. It's definitely interesting. People doing poos and all sorts of things. Knife crime, you name it, it's all there. Right, so, what do we make of all this? Saul was a bad guy. He had <coughs> killed loads of people who were supportive of David. He killed the priests who were supportive of David. He's trying to kill David. David's just had to take his mum and dad, David's mum and dad, to safety in Moab. And here's the moment. God had said to him, There will come a day, David, when I will give Saul into your hand and you can do to him what you want. So if David had killed him, I take that as not being a sin, Because God said, there will come a day when I will give this guy into your hand and you can do what you want. Now, his men jumped to the assumption, well, that means you can kill him. He could have killed him, but he doesn't. So, we could debate this until the cows come home, talking about. Could, should, or could he have killed him, morally? Would it have been a sin? Yeah, I would say, yeah, sure, he could have done. But he chose not to. And that's the thing. For example, if somebody does something bad to you, you can dob them in. You can report them. You can say, this guy stole whatever. For example, we're standing here in the bar, sitting here in the bar, and you remember Ernie, when he was stoned, Came here and went behind the bar, took three buttons of Prosecco and whatever, and ran out. And I had to pay for that. Well, I got Ernie's picture. I got his photo. I could have gone to the cops. So look, this is a guy. This is his name. Not difficult to know where he lives. Um, sort it out. I want my 60, 63, 63 quid that cost. But I didn't. I didn't. Not because you know, I'm so righteous and pious. But I, I, I give it to you as an example. Where time and again we have choices. Because life is a stream of choices and decisions in one sense. Where we can choose how we want to jump. We've got a range of choices. People often say, oh, should I do this or should I do that? Is this a sin or is that not a sin? Is that okay to do this or that or whatever? And I think those questions are the questions of immaturity. That is very often not a case of, is that a sin or not a sin? The case is the question rather is, what is the mature thing to do? What is the highest level? And that is true right across the board. And for somebody who has not known God's grace, well, they won't get that. Ah, oh, you nicked some money off me. Oh, you nicked some placebo and I had to pay for it. Oh, right, I'm going to dub you in. Because I don't see anything else. If we have felt God's grace in our lives, then we will respond differently. Because when you realise what a big sinner you are, even if you don't nick, you know, wine and Pasco and all that, uh, we're all sinners, right? And, and it's facile to say, "Oh no, I'm a top bloke; it's all the rest of them." Once you realise that, yeah, you, know, you have sinned, and you're not such a top bloke as you think you are before God then you find a humility and also when you think about your life unlike most people who don't think about their lives you think about your life and you say wow God saved me oh hang, I could have done that I could have been busted I could have done this I could have done that And oh, if that had happened I would have been in such a bad case I was in this position and wow God saved me you, know, you keep thinking about those things you think oh wow God's been so good to me And then when you, and undeservedly, and then when you stumble across these situations where I have a range of response to what somebody did to me, then you're going to respond with grace. So, and you mustn't assume too quickly what the answer is. These guys were like saying, oh, this is obviously the day, yeah, that God's given your enemy into your hand, go and kill him. Well, that, that was an assumption. God says to him, uh, God has said you can do whatever you wish. He didn't say you can kill him. He could kill him. Yeah, do whatever you want. And so, like Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are wise. That's uh, the true thing. So, why does he cut off the ribbon that was on the bottom of Saul's robe? Well, I think for one thing it's to show Saul that This symbol of your kingship, this uh, robe you've got, is now torn. I've torn it. This is not for you to go on being king. God had told Saul, you're not to be king. And if only Saul had taken that seriously and said, yeah, sure, I'm a sinner, I'm not really cut out to be the king of Israel. Oh, great, God wants David to be king. Oh, God bless David. Good luck. All the best. And... Just walked humbly with his God for the rest of his life. Uh, then he'd have been saved, but oh no! Like a lot of people, he wanted to cling on to his bit of power till the better end. And so, <clears throat> he uh, David cuts off this bit of Saul's robe. And also, it, under the law of Moses, it says that they were to have a ribbon of blue on the bottom of their garments to remind them to keep God's commandments what God has said about Saul you did not keep my commandments about Amalek and that's why I reject you from being king so David's sort of cutting that off to nudge Saul's conscience so all that he's doing with his cutting off of the ribbon that was on the bottom of Saul's garment was was all angled towards leading Saul to repentance now Saul had messed up David's life he was persecuting him without a cause trying to kill him and David wants more than anything else—not Saul's blood, but Saul's repentance. And that's how you know—it's a very high level of grace to get to. You see, of course, in the Lord Jesus that He dies, saying, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Right? So, a very high level. But here you see a guy who was not the son of God, David, who did this and who who got to this great level of forgiveness and. And really wanting that person who'd done so much evil to be saved. I think that's quite wonderful, really. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24. We might look at this next week, I don't know. But there's three chapters here. There's 1 Samuel 24, David's got this chance to kill Saul and he doesn't do it. In chapter 26, he has another chance to kill Saul and he doesn't do it. But in chapter 25, in between those two points... There's the account of him and a guy called Nabal. And after he's got away from this situation with, with Saul, he, um, he sends a message to a rich guy called Nabal, and he says, uh, could you please give me and my men some food? Nabal's drunk. And he says, no, you're just a runaway slave. I will not to give you anything. And David goes ballistic. He says to his guys, get the swords. We're going to go and kill Nabal and all his family, his kids, his wife, everything. And then in chapter 26, oh, he's got a chance to cure Saul, or he doesn't do it. And isn't that true to life, that you can reach a great level of grace and forgiveness one minute, and then you fall flat on your face the next minute, being totally unreasonable, and then the next day after that, oh, you're, you're very gracious and kind again. It's one thing that, you know, I hate about being human, that we are like that, and I long for the kingdom of God when we shall be changed and we shall be our better side really rather than having these ups and downs in our faith and spirituality but that is what it is to be human and we are say so, that's why we desperately need to be baptised into the Lord Jesus to be in him and to be counted as if we are him because we ourselves are all up and down but probing this a little bit further he shows amazing grace to Saul but then, a few days later, he's going absolutely ballistic. I want to murder this guy, Nabal, and his wife and his kids. It would be like one of us who's, say, in a pub like this, and some drunk guy, because Nabal was an alcoholic, we are told. It would be like some drunk guy come up to me and started uh, cussing me, or saying, oh, you're just a runaway, you're just this, that, and the other. And I said... If you say that, oh I'm going to go round to your house, I know where you live, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill your missus, I'm going to kill all your kids. That would be ridiculous. The guy's drunk. Just don't take him too seriously. He's drunk. So David behaves in a very ungracious way to label. Probing this psychologically, I think I see what's happening. Saul has been horrible to him, but he forgives him but then he transfers psychologically transfers what Saul has done onto this guy called Nabal He's like oh, i'm going to kill him yeah i'm going to kill him and his wife and his kids that, that happens you may forgive one person for something but then you can beat up on someone else because you've transferred you see what that first person did to you who's been yeah you've forgiven them but then you go and transfer all that onto someone else. And it just shows that no one's motive is totally pure. We really are sinners, and we are very flawed, and even at our spiritual best, I don't think any of us get a 100%. None of us have got totally pure motives. Even David here, we say, oh, wonderful, he forgave his enemy. Wonderful, 10 out of 10. 100%. Yes, it was very good, very commendable. Uh, but, in his case, I think, because of what, he, what you read in the next chapter, he went and transferred his anger and his angst against Saul onto some other pretty random guy and goes and beats up on him. So even David wasn't 100%. And so, in the end, as, as Isaiah says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In the end, it's just hands up surrender. But I surrender totally to God's call upon me. I recognise I am not as I should be. I never will be, just save me, just save me please and forgive me please and accept me as I am with all my flawed moments, even my best moments are, are flawed that's what I think you see here with, uh, with David well afterwards his conscience smites him because he cut off a piece of Saul's robe so he says, oh I shouldn't have done that, he's Yahweh's anointed well, yes and no Um, Saul was God's anointed and Paul says that we are all anointed we are all anointed ones because the word Christ Jesus Christ Christ means anointed and if you are in Christ you are therefore anointed and so that respect that extreme respect that David has for Saul because he's the Lord's anointed is what we should have for each other now that is the ideal of the Christian community. Whereby we think, wow, um, this brother, this sister, wow, this wonderful person is baptised into Jesus. They are in Christ. They are the Lord's anointed. Oh, I must be very respectful and careful around them. And then you would find a Christian community that was characterised by radical love by radical respect between persons. And I'm afraid the church is a failure. It's a failure. I mean, it's not what you see in Christianity at all. Um, But we can be different as individuals. We can be different as individuals. So, he's right in a sense that, yes, Saul was the Lord's anointed, but his conscience smites him. Now... Was he? Right? Why did he have a bad conscience about this? It seems to me he didn't need to. I don't think he needed to have a bad conscience. And conscience is a funny thing. Because there's such a thing as true guilt and false guilt. True guilt is when you really have sinned and you should bow your head and say, Yeah, I messed up. I sinned. I'm sorry. False guilt is where you are made to feel guilty by someone else or by society. And there's a lot of people who suffer with that false guilt. And I think David here has got a bit of false guilt. You know, this is why so much of the Bible is history. So that you you see in these men of God, because David was a man of God, you see someone going through the same stuff that you and me go through. That this was false guilt. This is beating yourself up when you don't need to. And as I'm, saying, I'm not saying that there is no such thing as guilt. Yeah, we should feel guilt because of our actual sin because we all actually mess up. But there's also this false guilt that is put on you by society, by people and all the rest of it. And I suppose you can't sort of quite look inside your own head and sort out what's true guilt and what's false guilt but we know the great comfort is that Jesus is the guilt offering and all our guilt true or false or whatever is is all all dealt with anyway in him what happens David restrained his men with these words they were really like wanting to do it this is the day we could kill Saul God sent him to us David's not holding these blokes back, because they're all in the side of the cave, while Saul is doing his business. going to the toilet. Now, if I were David, I'd have thought, yeah, I don't particularly want to scribble in myself, but, well, my guys, my men want to do it. Well, let them do it then. Okay, guys, you do it. I don't particularly want to plunge a knife in the guy's head myself, or in in his neck myself, but, yeah, if you're keen to do it, well, you do it. But he doesn't even do that. And in fact, he resists what all the other people who are on his team are telling him, go on, do it. And I think that that, again, in the darkness of that cave, I think that that really was, you know, conscience as it should be. That even if I stand with my back to the world, even stand with my back to my friends, my church, my own people, the guys who are on my team, I will do what I know is right before God. And that often comes in terms of showing grace to people, that other people say, ah, oh, don't show grace, dob him in, no, make him suffer, da, da, da. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And this is a great example of David. And the whole thing, as I say, happened in five minutes, because it takes five minutes max to go to the loo, according to Dotty, who I think has calculated pretty well correctly. So this whole story is Five minutes yeah we can tie we're talking about men not women anyway um, so David got up afterwards after what after Saul has flushed the (laughs) flushed the chain not that they did have a chain but anyway afterwards David got up afterwards and went out of the cave and called after Saul my lord the king when Saul looked behind him David bowed with his face to the earth and showed respect David said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is trying to harm you? Look, today your eyes have seen how Yahweh have delivered you into my hand in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift up my hand against my Lord, for he is Yahweh's anointed. So, I believe that you know every time Saul went to the loo for the rest of his life, he would have remembered this. Who wouldn't? That when I was squatting down in that cave, you've doing this same business David could have killed me but he didn't the fact that Saul went on persecuting David chasing him around trying to murder him just shows how you can have your conscience really peaked at one point you say no no I know I shouldn't do this and you, you fall back so the point is don't don't be Saul be David and David is trying to draw a parallel he says My men told me to kill you, but I didn't. Your men, Saul, are telling you to kill me, but don't. I didn't listen to my men, you don't listen to your men. But even that is being a bit generous, because who was the one person who really wanted to kill David? It was Saul himself. So David is very generously saying to him, well maybe you're just so obsessed with killing me because other people are telling you stories about me. Well, the truth is that Saul himself was personally jealous against David, and jealousy is cruel as the grave, as we all know. Jealousy is the root of about everything evil and nasty, and so he's been very generous to him. He's been very, you know, trying to see the best, and oh, maybe you're doing this because you were just misinformed by some people. Not really the case, but um, this is the thing: to, to try to be as, as generous as you can to people because God has been so generous to you so generous absolutely huge and he calls him my lord the king and he bows with respect to him he says look I I know God says you shouldn't carry on being king but until you give it up the kingship of your own volition I'll accept you as, as the king so he says Well, my father look here's a piece of your robe in my hand by the fact that I cut it off and didn't kill you, you can know and see that I have no desire to hurt you and have not sinned against you, though you hunt me to take my life. May Yahweh judge between me and you and may Yahweh avenge the wrong you've done me, but my hand will not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand will not be against you. Well, although he does sort of forgive Saul. He does not turn a blind eye to the fact that Saul is wicked. And so, so many people ask about forgiveness. How can I forgive? A lot of people are worried that they haven't forgiven. Because, well, they sort of think that forgiveness means that I've got to assume it all never happened. David here, I reckon, is a great example. His forgiveness of Saul did not mean that he just whitewashed Saul. Like he didn't really do it. No. He's very clear. You, you are doing wickedness. You are a wicked man. Um, and you're going to get judged. And God is judging you. The other thing I'll notice here is that he talks about God is judging. And that is the case. God is judging. He says in verse 15, May Yahweh therefore be the judge and give sentence between me and you may he plead my cause and deliver me out of your hand I don't think he's talking about the judgment at the end when Jesus comes back I think he's saying that the judgment in its essence God's judgment of man is going on right now so here's a window onto how you can deal with with people who are nasty to you with people who slander you the people are against you how can you deal with that well one way to deal with it as David shows here is to say to yourself well God is right now judging God's looking and actually we live our whole lives talk about all the world's a stage we live our whole lives as it were in the courtroom before God he is the judge all the time God is not asleep." God is not, you know, drifted off to sleep and, um, well, one day you might wake up and uh, have a look at the books of what you did and give you a judgment. Right? No, the idea is that God is judging right now. That's the point. And yet, when you think about it carefully, he says, God will be the judge and will plead my cause. So in a court, you've got the judge. And in front of him, there's, as it were, David and Saul. But if you're in court, you've got an advocate you've got someone who speaks for your cause but this court's a bit biased because God is the judge and he's also the one who pleads my cause Jesus uses the very same sort of picture when he says I'm your judge but I'm also your comforter your advocate I'm the lawyer I'm your defense lawyer so the defence lawyer, as it were, and the judge are one and the same. Yeah, and that's how it is, because God is on our side. And having talked about that analogy, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? God's a judge, and he's also our defence lawyer. He's pleading my cause, as David says. Now, you look at it like that, all our sins. Well, who's the judge anyway? It's not society, it's not you, it's not me, it's God. But he is also totally wanting our acquittal. He's pleading the cause. So, you know, we have every reason, all these different analogies, all these different things you read about in the Old Testament or whatever, they're all leading you to the same conclusion, that we will be saved. And that all our sin and dysfunction is actually not finally a barrier between God and our final salvation. He says verse 14, Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? One flea? So this is how David feels. He said, you come against me with 3,000 men, and I'm just a dead dog. I, I'm just one flea. You, Saul, have got 3,000 soldiers behind you, and you are coming chase me. I'm just one dead dog. I'm just one flea. I'm that small. But I think you see there, David, you could say it's humility, I would say it's um, more like very negative self-image. He doesn't think much of himself. He says, oh, I'm just a dead dog. I'm finished. Um, and he's not even become king yet. I'm just a one flea. I'm just totally insignificant. So I'd sort of rate David a bit negatively for that. But at the same time, he's showing this amazing grace to Saul. Absolutely amazing. And isn't that true of how we are, that we're all so complicated that in one half of your head you can have some weakness like, I think David felt too small about himself he'd been beaten down, dumbed down, and yet on the other hand you believe, on the other hand, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do the right thing and not the wrong thing and I'm not going to do what I could do against Saul and I will one day be king. So, when David had finished saying this to Saul the Saul said is this your voice my son David and Saul wept aloud why does he not recognise David's voice well it could have been that he was shouting out over quite a long distance or it could simply be that David was so emotionally drained by this whole business of having spared Saul's life that his voice was very very stressed And a bit not like his usual voice. Saul knew David well. He knew his voice. And talk about little things in the Bible all add up. It all has the stamp of absolute psychological credibility. That yeah, to forgive somebody to let them off the hook. It's a massive thing. Drains you. Well that's why I think David's voice was constrained. Well, Saul said to David, and he's crying. He says, you're more righteous than I. You've been good to me, whereas I've done evil to you. You've declared this day how you've been good to me because when Yahweh delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away unharmed? Therefore may Yahweh reward you with good for what you've done to me today. Now I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Well, yeah, um... He's all coming over very humble, saying exactly what he should say and saying it from the heart. I don't think he's faking it. I think he means every word he says. But it's like Pharaoh, you know, when the plagues came upon Egypt and there's a time when Pharaoh pretty well says the same. He goes to Moses and says, you know, I'm a terrible bloke. I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, you can go. I'm going to let Israel go. And then he goes back. we can all be like that. You, You know, man comes down very small sometimes. Very humble. Oh yeah, I'm very sinful. I'm really sorry, God. I'm sorry to the people I've wronged. I'm very sorry. But within 48 hours, back on the same old track again. And so Saul is an example of that. Absolutely. And it's what you beg God to stop happening in your life, in my life. That when we're brought down, it's like, stay down. Stay down, and don't rise up again with your own pride, arrogance, and so forth. And he says, now I know that you will surely be king. Well, God had told him that through Samuel very clearly. You, Saul, will not continue as king. I found someone else, it's clear it was David, who's going to be king. Now I know. Well, yeah, in other words, now he saw... The truth of the basic word of God that he'd already had for ages. And I think the key is that when God says something in in the Bible to us, well, take it for true. Take it for real. Don't wait for this sort of experience to make you see the truth that is obvious. Well, last point, um, verse 22... Well, he says, 21, Swear now therefore to me, by Yahweh, that you will not cut off my seed after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. David gave his oath to Saul. It was normal in those days that if a new dynasty took over, the new king would kill the family of the old king, cut off any trouble. And Saul says, can you swear to me by God that you won't do that to me? And David says, yes, sure, I will. I promise I won't do that by God. I was reading this, thinking about it last week or so, I thought, why didn't David try to make a deal? If it was me, I'd have said, yeah, i promise you that. But I'd like you, Saul, to promise me by God that you'll stop persecuting me. Leave my mum and dad alone, and leave my family alone and all that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't try. And I think it's because he knew Saul was a total liar. He knew that if he said that to Saul, Saul would have said, oh yeah, I swear to you by God that I won't do that to you. But I think he knew that yeah, but you're going to carry on doing it, aren't you, Saul? I know you. I know how you are. And I think he loved Saul so much that he didn't want to lead Saul into sin. I mean, that's why he doesn't try and cut a deal back with Saul. And the last bit, Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold of the cave. Well, in chapter 26, where this happens again, when again Saul's life is spared, he pretty well invites David to, you know, again, oh, I'm so sorry, David, blah, blah. Please come back and live with me in the palace. (coughs) And David's like, not likely, mate. I don't trust you beyond the end of my nose. And so the point is that forgiveness is not the same as trust. Forgiveness is not the same as rebuilding the relationship. And so many people honestly struggle with this issue of forgiveness. Oh I know I've got to forgive, but oh I don't think I'm going to be saved in God's kingdom because I don't forgive enough. And that may partly be because people have the wrong idea of what it is to forgive. So forgive is not to trust again. To forgive is not to have relationship again. Not necessarily. And so it is here with David. He clearly doesn't want even to make an agreement with Saul. He says, yeah, I promise you I'm not going to kill your kids. I'm not going to kill your grandkids. I promise you. Yeah, I promise you that. But he doesn't want to take it further. And he's not going to go back and live with Saul and play happy families and You know, live happily ever afterwards, because he knows that's that's rubbish. So don't beat yourself up that you haven't forgiven enough. I mean, maybe you haven't, I'm not saying you have But don't beat yourself up on it because you feel that you can't trust the person again. That is, trust is a different thing. You can forgive somebody, but it is up to them if they rebuild that trust. And it's up to you if you accept that. In David's case, it seems to me that he shows Saul the maximum grace and forgiveness and all that. But there is no willingness by him at this point to play happy families, to trust. He doesn't trust him. Absolutely. And that does not mean you don't forgive. Of course we've got to forgive in the sense of letting go and leaving it to God. Absolutely. But that is not the same as, oh, I must be in relationship with you. Yeah, a classic one is domestic abuse, isn't it? Um, is he or she supposed to forgive him or her for the domestic abuse? People say, how can I? How can I? Do you mean I've got to live with it all, all the time? Am I just like a doormat? No. no. Not at all. You're not a doormat. You're a human being. You're not a doormat. You don't have to live with it. You don't have to trust the person. You can tell the person to get lost and never cross my threshold again. That's quite legitimate. But that does not mean you cannot forgive. Because if you don't forgive, then you lost and they won, basically. Um, That's right, exactly. You can't move on after. You can't move on. You're stuck if you won't forgive. So you can forgive, but you do not have to then live together, act like you will trust each other. Don't. You you, you don't. It's two different things. So, all of this, of course. Oh, can we start passing the um, bread and the um, wafers out, please? So, we're here to remember above all the Lord, the Lord Jesus. That there in him, in that character, in that personality, and the Jesus is real. You know, the Jesus that we think about and reflect on is real, he's in heaven, and he watches us here. That Jesus who is so real, struggled with all these issues, and came to a total forgiveness of others. You know, to the point that, you know, on the cross, some of his last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we have received that forgiveness. And on the basis of how good God was to David, this is why he is able, thank you, he is able, I think, to be gracious to Saul. So, I mean, in some of his psalms, he says to God, you've been so good to me. I will praise you because you've been so good to me. And now Saul says to him, oh, David, you have been so good to me and I've been so evil to you. Thank you. So where did David get the motivation from to be this loving, forgiving, respectful? Because of God's grace to him. And without that, you can't get that. It's why I I don't think that true grace and forgiveness is actually possible outside of true Christianity. Nor is it possible to anyone who is proud. It is only possible to those who humble themselves and recognise their own sin. That's the only way. And on the basis of that experience, you can reflect that to other people. Right, so, right, let's give thanks to the bread and the cup. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you with all our heart and soul for the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, and we earnestly want to be part of Him and in Him. We pray that all that we've seen and known of him and in him, we might now reflect to others in the week that is in front of us, where we will have ample opportunity for forgiveness, respect, patience, as you have shown us. Please, Father, strengthen us in this commitment. For his sake. Amen. Amen.